And I spoke to Danny Murphy the other day. And Danny Murphy, I said, I'm, I'm doing um, a, a podcast with Mike Dean. And Danny said, he's arrogant. People didn't like the way I refereed because I, did, I had the balls to make decisions and had to make the decision whether it's the first minute or the 90 plus ninth minute. Yeah. I would make the same call. And if that upset people, then so be it. I used to be petrified sitting in the chair, right. thinking, come on, the guy goes down the box, so give the pen, give the pen. Oh, he's give the pen. Are you happy days? He's give the right. pen. Right, so it took you out of the I responsibility. Would, I've been as honest and open as I ever have been in any other interview before. Where were you on VAR? I mean, I get the impression that you're not hugely enamoured with it. This is Up Front with me, Simon Jordan. I believe there are a lot of vacuous, uninformed, unchallenged opinions out there. I want to get to the bottom line and cut through the nonsense. So with this podcast with William Hill, I'm going to get people with strong views who think they can stand them up to proper scrutiny. There's a good chance I might learn something along the way. And more importantly, so might you. Today's episode is a look into the challenging world of elite football refereeing through the eyes of one of its most recognisable names. A man with 560 Premier League games under his belt and the first official to brandish 100 red cards. Renowned for stepovers, no-look bookings and the odd theatrical gesture. The man in the middle to Stockley Park and now TV pundit, Mike Dean. Welcome to Upfront. Thank you. Mike, I'm pleased to have you here because it was earlier on in the series that we wanted to talk to you and I was a little bit irritated and irked by the fact that the PGML put a block on it because I'm one of those that thinks that the referees need to have a voice and need to be seen in a different light. So I am, as I say, pleased to be here. I wasn't impressed with the fact that there was an observation that maybe it wasn't the right space for you guys to be in. And given the fact that I am in your camp, I don't agree with all the things that referees do, but I do think it's a very difficult job. So it's good that you're here. I probably think it's probably now more to do with the fact that you're no longer in a PGMOL. I would think so. I would think but um, so. As, I say, as I say, good to have you here. Cheers. Um, I think the first question out of the gate and the first discussion point is... Who wants, I suppose, who what, what, who wants to grow up to be a referee? I have this perception of being uh, a young man that played at Chelsea when I was a kid onto a football club owner that sees referees as, as school prefects that couldn't do sport but wanted to wield authority of those that could. <laughs> now, that might be a slightly unfair analysis. Well, trust me, I was never a prefect. I, no, was, no, I, was, okay. no, I was no boy to go after school. But what, what prompts you to get into that sort of area where it's very different and requires a very different sort of skill set, outlook and disposition. Yeah, I mean, I played football all the way through um, till probably 16, 17. I was a goalkeeper and then um, finished school. Out of work for probably six months trying to find a job. Sat at home watching silly daytime television all the time, just eating and doing nothing. Didn't take any pride in my fitness. And then I thought, how can I get back into it? Probably too big to be a goalkeeper. Couldn't play out, outfield. So... Um, Next best thing is try and be a referee. So I, I just made a few inquiries locally and they sent me for a couple of courses and managed to go on the course and, and quite enjoyed it. It was, it was tough, tough doing the course, you know, trying to learn the proper laws. And as you say, like most players at the time, even when I was a kid, you didn't know what the laws were. You thought handball was always handball and stuff like that. Mm. So um, kind of done the course, passed the exam in 1985 and then just started doing junior football, just keep myself fit and, and get, myself, get myself out of the house really more than just sit at home and and do nothing, try and get involved in football again. It wasn't an atypical background that you had, did you? You worked in a chicken factory in terms of slaughtering chickens. You also got involved in dancing. Yeah. So how do those sort of characteristics, they're quite diametrically opposed from the view of someone getting involved in sports. Yeah. How do they play out in the, the, the psyche and thinking of someone that ends up deciding that they want to be a referee? I think I think the um, the poultry factory kind of come later on, probably about two thousand. So um, 
well, for about 97, but I started working in Ironmonger shop in Heswell, where I used to live, um, right. to start off with. And then the ballroom dancing was just a thing that my mum and dad wanted, what me and my sister to do. Um, where we lived in Heswell and Polehill Road, we had a dancing school in the in the, in the the road that kind of just opened. And my mum kind of said to me, my sister, are you going? So um, we kind of went and, and I quite enjoyed it, to be honest with you. And um, it was just another way of, of getting out and doing things, doing something different. And I think that when you get to like 18, 19, what I was when I decided to stop doing it, I think at the time it probably wasn't kudos to do it to be a ballroom dancer mm. or, or do dancing probably mm. 30 years ago, 35 years ago now. But I think now if I had my time again, would you probably carry on? Probably would because it's like it's just a norm now. You see the things on the television of with course. people doing it. So I probably would have carried it on. So that didn't make me get into you know, try and pursue the refereeing kind of thing. But I think because of diff different things and different things away from football, it kind of made me want to focus on trying to do something different. Which was I suppose refereeing. working in the chicken factory and ringing chickens next probably leads you to the conclusion you might want to ring a few players next as well. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, when you look back with the benefit of knowledge that you've got now and you look at the body of work that you've done as a referee, what do you, what do you think are the main traits, the main character traits uh, that make a person be a referee? What are those fundamentals? I think you've got like football, as I mentioned before, you've got to have a bit of a thick skin. I think you have some kind of personality. Uh, you have to have a bit of authority about you. You've got to have a little bit of arrogance, arrogance about you. I know I come across sometimes where refereed, probably talk about later where I come across arrogant, but you've got to have some kind of little bit of arrogance in you, but it's probably more of a more of a confidence thing what rather that, than arrogance. Well, I've, I've always never liked the expression arrogance because mm. I've always felt that when someone says you're arrogant, because I think arrogance is a form of... And excuse my uh, my interpretation of it, and you can push back on it. I've always felt that confidence is a better analysis because arrogance is one of those things where people are are portraying an image rather than actually having a deep seated belief in yourself. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, when I got to referee at the, at the Premier League, I was very a very confident referee and probably too common, which I would probably come across yeah. as being a bit arrogant. But I think players are confident. Players have got a little bit of arrogance about them. Mm. Um, no reason why referees can't. I think you probably put them in good stead for for what for, for what lies ahead. To be honest with you. What's the fitness level requirements? I mean, I, there's a lot made of. I mean, I saw today. I saw earlier on in the week Keith Hathick, Hackett having a go about Simon Hooper and his fitness levels or his physicality. In, in order to prepare to be a referee, I mean, what are the levels of fitness that you have to get to? I think when when we finish on it in in the May, we always have some kind of program, probably three weeks off, where we kind of you chose to relax and do nothing. Some guys just the older you get, probably just sit on a bike and just keep the legs moving. Then we have like an eight-week plan, which Simon, the, the fitness guy, sends us through, which we kind of have to follow, download it with your heart rate monitors, your GPS units, just to make sure we're doing the work properly. Um, there's a criteria to pass the fitness test in July. Which is what? Which is obviously on the running track. So we do 75 metres in 15 seconds. Then, right. you, then you have to walk 25 metres right. in 15 seconds and repeat that 20 times. Right. Which is, which, is, which is pretty tough. And the older you get, it does get tougher. And then you've got sprints as well, which is... Six 40-meter sprints at 5.9 seconds with one-minute recovery in between each sprint. Right, I was going to ask you, because obviously, obviously the ability to do it is one thing. Yeah. The ability to recover after these things. And, and I think the older you get, it does get tougher. Whether whether could be something different. Whether if, you know, if you're the wrong side of 50, you should be doing the same fitness test as somebody who's 32. That would be a, an ageist thing, I would think. But I think that would probably be fair, because if you're a really good referee of 52 and you... you your sprints are 6.0 and your, and your runs are 15.2 and you fail, is that a right thing to do? Because you could be the rest referee in the world and, and, and miss out by 0.2 of a second. I get this criteria. Yeah. Uh, this criteria this year as well with body fat. So when I finished in 22, 
by the start of this season, 23-24, everybody's body fat had to be 16% or lower, right. which was tough. When I was refereeing, it was probably 175 to 18%, not a big thing made of it. But I think now if you look at referees in UEFA when refereeing European games, it's very, very rare you'll see a referee now who is on the larger side of, of if you must, the, 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 pretty, the pretty trim. Yeah. And, and they do stuff with UEFA. UEFA have the same kind of fitness test levels, um, especially the guys in the elite group like of Anthony and Michael. They have to go to Geneva twice a year, go through full fitness things, exactly the same protocol we have. The body fat's got to be low. If the body fat isn't low, then they, they don't get games. It's as simple as that. Um, if you've been involved in confrontations and altercations with managers or strong words have been exchanged or opinions have been levied against you, has any, any of them ever come up to you and apologised? Always. And I also think that when they come into the dressing room at the end of the game, usually about half an hour afterwards, I always ask them to sit down and have an open, honest chat. And when we leave, we don't leave. But I always say stuff like, you know, thanks for coming in. Thanks for conducting yourself in the correct manner. We say it should be. If someone comes in straight and just starts battering an assistant referee or battering a fourth official for like non-stop and you just can't get a word in edgeways, then I've stopped the conversation. I've just asked them to leave because mm. we're not going to get nowhere. It's just like a one-way conversation. And usually nine times out of ten, you'll get your chance to say something. When they leave, as I said before, I always say thanks for coming and conduct yourself the right way, shake hands and go from there. You may see him in the tunnel 25 minutes later and you'll have a chat because everybody's left. But there's a very different dynamic, isn't it, when you're dealing with these big beasts in the Premier League, the Marinos yeah, of the world, I, people I, I, of that nature. I understand nature. that. I understand I mean, that. And when, you had, when you had situations with them, you know, what, what kind of dynamics did you find yourself in those situations? Because those guys don't pull any punches. We're seeing this sort of behaviour from... I don't like it. Some of the stuff that's going on, I think they're, 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 mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're, they're exceeding their reach right now and behaving uh, uh, in a way I'm not comfortable think, with and it. And I think all. they will stand down at this year. I, think. I bloody hope I so. Think they will. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, when you've had situations like in the Premier League, you know, every league is important, right? But we all know that the scale and scope and invasion and the elevation of some of these people is far greater in the Premier League. I mean, some of these guys are tricky. Who are the trickiest guys? In the Premier League, I mean, I, I hear rumours that Sean Dyche was very difficult uh, and often a, a, an official's nightmare because of the way he operated. Not a lot of managers in the Premier League do come in. Right. Um, and I think the myth is, oh, they've come in and, and you know... They, they've had a blast. Sir Alex Ferguson said this, that Sir Alex Ferguson said that, and sometimes whatever he says is kind of... Whatever he says goes, whatever Mourinho says goes, but... Yes, Sean used to come in. Sean used to give his opinion across, which, which was fine, or he'd send Ian as, as assistant manager, which, which was fine. Um, I have no... I have no issue whatsoever within half an hour and coming and asking the question. I think they're probably a bit more switched on at Premier League level because they've got better footage to watch. They can they get the facts right before they come in. Sometimes they'll bring somebody in from the club in case they say the wrong thing and I, and I understand that as well. Um, in case they say something that might put them in difficulty on a Monday morning if they get a phone call off the FA. Um, but most managers come in and will will we'll put their opinion across and at, at the level of the Premier League if you give your opinion back in the right way it's not accepted all the time but they can get some idea of why you've made the decision and I think that what does the right way mean? the right way is if they come across and sit down properly they don't use the language that they used to use many many years ago if we thrash it out properly man to man it's a good thing and I think the way it's going now with with the information they're getting from the Premier League information they get from, from even higher than the Premier League from the FA that if they're not happy with certain incidents, they can approach people now and they will get an explanation if it's not from the referee, but from the governing body itself. Um, I think that's what the stakeholders want in the Premier League. They want a good explanation of why there may, may have been a mistake. What will happen to the referee has made a mistake. 
uh, what are the consequences that way. Obviously, if a player misses an open goal, will he will he play the next week? Probably. If re if a referee makes a major major error, will he referee the following week? Probably not, because that's just the reason they probably take him up the limelight for a week, just give him a bit of a rest and take him away from it to from getting making more mistakes. Then probably needs to get a bit of time away, maybe do a game at a different different league or a, a reserve game just give himself well the reason why it, the reason know? why i ask you because i do think some of these managers are reaching beyond the pale and the i, I brought Mourinho into the conversation and you're being a little bit diplomatic about not wanting to get into naming names about who you might have had altercations with but Mourinho's behavior which i thought was pretty abhorrent um towards anthony taylor 100 in the 100%, in the um in the car park yeah. what, what what did you make of that I thought it was a disgrace. You set your team up to win a to win a, a major European final, and you win in one nil, and you kind of go out to kind of protect the one nil win, which is probably how Marino used to do most games. If you win in one nil, he would think you've got to play really well now to break our team down. They broke him down. They lost the game eventually, and the easiest scapegoat is the referee because of one or two things that may have happened on the game. I watched the game. I thought Ante had a great game. I'm not being bad. I thought he refereed really well. Everybody else has said that as well. So it's not just a not just me. The way he reacted, shouting across to referee was probably a bit childish, if I'm being perfectly honest with you. Not a thing you, you want to do. Yes, it's going to get recorded. It probably made himself look a bit silly, to be fair, if I'm being perfectly honest with you. Then the bits, obviously, in the in the airport were probably transferred because of what happened the night mm. before within the stadium, um, which I thought was bang out of order. I mentioned Marino before. He always comes in. He's, he always came in Marino, win, right. lose or draw. Uh, I was on a game with Howard once in Madrid. I was doing that. Really good job. Stood behind the goal, watching for ball in and out of play and things like that. When you used to have that in FIFA, um, uh, Real Madrid, Borussia Dortmund. It was a Champions League semi-final and maybe should have been a send-off. And he's coming. He's had a right go at Howard um, about you know you've cost us this. You you, you know you want them to win, etc. etc. And by the time by the time Howard's explaining what's going on, he used to always come in, win, lose the draw, give an opinion. And when he left, he used to always say, "Thank you for your time and leave." And and that's not me just bullshitting. That's just how he was because yeah. he was. He would give his point of view across and he'd always say, thanks for your time, he'd always leave. He might not be happy, but he'd always leave and shake everybody's hand when he used to leave. Even at Man United when he was there and nothing happened in the game, quick knock on the door, well done guys, that's it, and just walk, and just present through the door, thumbs up and go. Many managers do that. It's not very often now you'll get guys banging the door down at five to five because they've seen something wrong on there because they'll know before they've finished at five o'clock now with all the technology. They've got screens within the dugout. They know if something happens after 75 minutes, they'll know in 76 minutes if it's a right or wrong decision. They'll try and get some kind of message to the fourth official to say he's made a mistake. Is he aware he's made a mistake, etc.? So just not much mind games in a way sometimes. But they all they all know if they've made a mistake. Referees all know they've made a mistake. And if you made a mistake and a manager comes in at the end of the game, you just say it's not worth trying to bullshit him, is it? Mm -hmm. But if you made a mistake, you put it's like I've made, made a mistake. mistake yeah. I've made a mistake. Yeah. What's the point trying to look for an excuse? Because then you make yourself look even worse, you lose all credibility because you're going to referee the team again. You're going to referee that club again maybe five, six, seven weeks down the line. So what's the point to like Because it's not, it's not, it's not right just managers' attitudes you know, coming in at five o'clock and speaking to you in, in your office or in the, in the referee's room. It's also their behaviour on the touchline and in the technical area. Does, it, does that sort of... I, I think some of it's demented histrionics. Um, but some of the stuff that went on last season with some of the behaviour from Klopp and a few other people and their behaviour towards referees and their questioning of the referees' integrity and that stuff. Does that irritate you guys? Do you take it personally? Or are you able to develop enough of a thick skin just to brush it off? 50-50, I think, yes, you need a bit of thick skin sometimes, but I also think that what happened in the last two years has been bang out of order. I think that as a group, 
we probably went strong when I even when I was where's that coming from then you reckon what to, to be a bit more stronger no just to be a bit more stronger some of the balls in it some of the, because, some because of the behavior from the managers because some of the behavior because I think we haven't been strong enough over the, over the years yeah even, even, in my, right. even in my last couple of years we've probably won the easy way out but I think now we have to do there's got to be some kind of change because my last year was really bad with with, with guys giving you grief and, and like confronting and you, you see into last year with managers we're at the technical here, get face to face with the ref with, with the full official which is just bang out of order what's and the fear factor why why would authoritative figures that are in that space not be prepared to do what it takes to concentrate the minds of those that are pushing I think the envelope. It, I think it might be a bit of a fear factor and a bit of a bit of a weakness sometimes. Fear factor of what? Of like if you a reaction from the audience, a reaction from no, the if media. You, if you go and send a big personality off as a manager, um, you might not go and referee for six or seven months, which which sometimes would happen, which is wrong. Which is which used to happen way back. All changed now, but don't get right. me wrong when it's even when Sam. Sorry, what does that mean? You send off a manager. If I say I sent off 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 Klopp, you've yeah, used, yeah. you mentioned Klopp. So, yeah, yeah. so I sent off Jurgen Klopp for being bang out of order, for like do, doing certain things. I would probably not go to Liverpool as full official referee for maybe three months, three or four months, because that, that's just how it is. By whose hands? Because that's just how it used to always be. But again, by whose hands? Was that was deemed, they, was that they, deemed they, to be diplomatic? They, they, yeah, 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 they wouldn't right. send it out then because a. It would be unfair on you because if you go there as full official, you know for well that sometimes the, the the manager wouldn't speak to you. Right. And I, I'll use you again. Again, sometimes. I'll right? use you again, again, just just as a as a as, a, as, a, as an afterthought that I refereed in Dortmund in I think it might have been two thousand six two thousand seven, and I sent off a Dortmund player for a second yellow card, which was which is it was it was really poor. I've been I've been viewed the footage really really bad decision. It's it just not the right call at all. Um, and I went back, and and Jurgen went on, on, on TV and and, and give his opinion about my decision as a referee, and, and, and I appreciate that because it was a really poor call. I went back the following season as fourth official with Howard, Dortmund and somebody, my Dortmund and uh, Marseille, I think, and I was fourth official, and I walked out and just looked at me and just we just had that glare as if to say, I know I'm going to get nothing out of you all year, all, all all evening, vice versa. And even I think when I started refereeing Liverpool at first. I think there was always something bubbling with Jurgen because of what happened in 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 Dortmund, Dortmund ten years ago. Obviously, you bury the hatchet, which we have done, and you, you kind of move on. But I think going back to before before about you know shifting managers or or getting rid of management technically, that it probably kind of the organisation probably looked after referees a little bit more. So like, do you really need to go back to Liverpool within three or four weeks, five weeks, where you set the manager off? You know, for well the crowd will go around you back as soon as you walk out. Is it right? Yes, you could probably referee it again, but do you need that grief? As soon as you walk out at three o'clock, when you've got ninety minutes worth of football to go, and you're just getting grief all the time, and you haven't even kicked off yet. Mm. I'm going to move on in a second to, to to you, the personality and the perception of you, and the relationship you had on the pitch, and people's vantage point on you. But there's just one other part I wanted to touch upon about the grassroots side of refereeing and the stuff that's going on. A lot of the times on the shows that I do with Jim White, we've had some significant experiences with referees with some real bullshit going on and people are doing things to referees that they just hmm. simply shouldn't be yeah. doing. When you were coming up through grassroots, you know, the, obviously now we're seeing a situation where there's apparently zero tolerance policy from the FA and they're starting to see things like body cam being introduced to be able to protect referees. And I've seen, as I said a moment ago, people coming on the show with referees getting a proper hiding from idiots on the pitch and mm. fans getting above their station. Was that something you experienced a lot of when you were coming up? No, not personally, but I, I had a good friend, Brian Robinson, who was a referee on the, on the Birdhead Sunday League, who refereed a game one Saturday evening, uh, one Sunday morning. following weekend, he went out, um, went down to somewhere in, in Birkenhead for, for a drink, went to the toilet, 
got accosted by three or four people from the team that we fought, and he got the, the living daylights beaten right. out of him. So, and he was in hospital for a long, long time. His head went twice the size of it was. It just wasn't good. So, um, carried on for a bit, and then he obviously packed in. But from a personal point of view, I've never had it on the pitch. I've been assaulted or been pushed. Um, I think that going back when I first started from the isolated, and I mentioned with Brian that there was one or two incidents, but nothing major. I think that I still sometimes go and watch local football, what the dog can just watch kids' football, and there is issues with, with parents and things that, mm. you know, you, you go back five years ago, it was really bad. It's still bad now, but not as bad. At least they've managed now to, like, rope the pitches off to stop the, the spec, uh, stop the parents getting onto the pitch, which was happening half the time, you know. My son has a bad tackle by somebody else. He wants to try and have a go at him. And parents have a go at each other, you know, from opposition teams. So I think if we can try and clamp down at the highest level, that should filter down because you know full well that mm. if, if, you, if you're an 11-year-old kid and you're watching Someone's players, behaving a players, way, yeah. players yeah. behaving the way they do on match of the day on a Saturday night and then what well, they can do it on a Saturday night and do it Sunday morning mm. in the kids' football. I think, yeah. the, I think the introduction of the body cams is, is a good idea. You, you know, <laughs> if you're saying to somebody... He's got a body cam on it. It does. It does change the way. Concentrate you... their minds. Yeah. Well, I there's a survey so. out in there. Yeah. I mean, there's a survey out saying something like about just under a thousand respondents, and about ninety-five percent of them are saying that they've been on the receiving end of abuse. Mm. Do, you, do, do are you in the territory that people need to be a bit more resilient, or do you genuinely think that the people are taking the piss? Uh, at certain levels of football, I think they are taking a mickey a bit. You know, if if you're getting some some father waiting for a referee after the game because his under 11 team have lost one nil, and he's took offence for a referee's decision, I think that's pretty poor, really. And I think yeah. that, you know, in, in, he needs to have a long hard look at himself what he's doing. You know, it's kids football. Yes, I know they want to win, but between the ages of probably seven and probably fourteen, yes, you want to try. You might be some kind of good young kid and there might be some people watching you know, and you might get into some academy but surely the age of like six to six and seven to 14 you want to kind of enjoy your football you want to kind of go out with your mates which they are still mates you want to play with them every every saturday and every sunday afternoon as a bit of fun and if, if you win you win okay i get if you lose it's depressing but the age of 11 it's not the be all and end all if you lose a game of football the weekend because you're not going to win every week are you but it's you a know? problem culture about respect isn't it i mean football isn't the most respectful of games is it I mean, we look at the refereeing in other sports, let's say specifically rugby, where the ultimate authority on the pitch is, rugby, mm -hmm. is the referee. But the cultural thing of football, can you see that changing? Because we have people running around like politicians saying, everyone's got to be nice to one another and speak properly to one another. In the real world, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But can you see a situation where the culture changes and the referee is regarded with a damn sight more respect than they currently are? I think it will happen a couple of years' time. I think, obviously... It the communication between the referee and the crowd and the VAR, etc., which I know we're going to touch later, yeah. that's obviously going to become a little bit more transparent to everybody, I think. You can see at the Women's World Cup now where the the referee's talking, communicating to the whole stadium, why is the yellow card been rescinded and now it's going to be a red card for a certain... That will happen. When that comes, you think it, that will help? No, I, I don't think I, it'll make a bleeding bit of difference. I think you'll just get people booing and jeering and shouting will, shit you, as a matter I of course. So. You're never going to please everybody, but... There's got to be some kind of way of starting the process. So people want a bit more transparent. They, they want to hear the conversation between the referee and the VAR. Yes, when you're in the media situation now and you, and you go into games as a co-commentator on the radio and on the TV, you can hear what the you VAR is saying yeah. to the referee, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. But you can't hear the conversation the other way at the moment. That may well change. I think when it does change, I think it will help. I see. I just think, I th yeah. I don't, I, without being all pompous about it, I think what benefit is wisdom if it doesn't 
try, you know, benefit the wise. You're going to have a group of people that are still not going to agree with a the decision. They're going to get more and more aggressive. They're, they're, they're listening to the communication going back between Stockley Park and the referee. And all you're going to do is get more and more disrespect breeded into the conversation. I don't, I don't see it yeah, as a win. I think so. But I think, I think also clubs and majority of the fans would probably want some kind of communication. So I think there's, it has to start the process. There's pros and cons about it, but I think well, I think it will come. I think it will come sooner rather than later. What do you believe, going into you as a personality and going into the way that the world perceived you? I mean, it's often difficult to see how people perceive one, but I think we're, we're all bright enough to have a, a fundamental understanding of what people think of us. Um, what do you believe was the perception of Mike Dean, a referee, from players, managers and fans? And I'll read you a quote that you said yourself, which was, I used to love the grief. It made me stick my chest out. I've given corners before and looked at the crowd, watching them giving me grief. And I just smile at them. It winds them up even more. And I spoke to Danny Murphy the other day. And Danny Murphy, I said, I'm, I'm doing um, a podcast with Mike Dean. And Danny said, he's f***ing arrogant. It was difficult to deal with. And his mood determined what sort of reaction you could have with him in terms of sometimes he could be a really decent fellow on the pitch and other times he could be, like I say, an, an arrogant side that didn't want to talk to you. He only talked to you when he felt like it. I said, well, isn't that the nature of authority that ultimately he's in control of the game, he's got a job to do, and maybe it's just the nature of the beast? But the question was, what do you think people's perception of you was? A lot of people didn't like the way I... I wouldn't say dislike, I would say. Some people would, would, would not like the way I refereed, liked that, the way I was. But that's water over ducks back for me. And, and I'm not, again, that's not being big-headed. I think that each supporter has an opinion, each manager would have an opinion about me, the way I refereed. Um, some don't like it, some like it. I think sometimes that people didn't like the way I refereed because I did. I had the balls to make decisions when I had to make the decision, whether it's the first minute or the 90 plus ninth minute, yeah. I would make the same call. And if that upset people, then so be it. If there's a penalty in the first minute, penalty in the 95th minute, I'd make the call. People think, oh, why, why would you? Well, I'd make the call because that's my job. And I've got no problems whatsoever to make a big call in the last minute. And I think that... I think, club, I think clubs knew that. I think clubs knew that if it got to like deep into stoppage time and someone made a really bad challenge, I would I would not hesitate to send somebody off because why wouldn't I in the 95th minute that would do in the 35th minute? Would I make a big call to give a penalty last minute? Yes, I would. Would send some player off? Yes, I would because that's my job and people yeah. didn't like what I did because I had no issues whatsoever when I walked out on the football pitch by the laws of the game properly. If somebody overstepped the mark, it doesn't matter how much you can... Talk to a player. How much you can manage a player. There's only so much. If you give a player a yellow card, there's only so much you can talk through him. Just say, be careful. Just be, just try to do that again. You're only on a yellow card. Just be careful. Sometimes again, you pull him. And say, Look, I can't tell you anymore. That's your final warning. Make it pretty obvious. It is five minutes later, he goes and wipes somebody out. You think, well, I've tried my best yeah. to keep him on this pitch, but I just can't do it. You send the player off. I have to do what I would perceive right on the pitch for them 90 minutes. Do you think there's any truth? I mean, certain people would make observations about there was this propensity for you to put yourself in the centre of things. Um, and to make it a little bit more a story about you rather than the game. Do you think there's any fairness in that? Um, no, not really, because I just think that, yes, that the ball goes through your legs and you jump over and you give people thumbs what up. What was all that about? It, it, it just happened once. I was just at a game where it came towards me and I just opened my legs and went through the, and thought, oh, that, that was quite funny, joking. <laughs> and the players started laughing and then the following week it happened again. I think, oh, and then the lights used to be on the line. You say, and, and joking, how many, how many this week? I said, I'll, I'll try and get two in, just joking, you know, but... Sometimes it wouldn't happen, but if you were there to come towards me, I wouldn't charge out of the way because if you move out of the way, one of the other balls coming towards you, you know, for if the ball's coming your way, A, you're probably in the wrong position in the first place, you shouldn't be there, and you know, for if the ball's coming your way, 
you want to get a centre half and attacker probably coming towards the ball, so I'm going to get smashed, aren't I? So it just evolved me doing it once, and then they were to step over the no look yellow card, but it was just one of them things. And the no look yellow card come from again, this is going back to what I said before about lack of confidence and lack of looking people in the eye. And um, it started from there, yeah, I think, yeah, it did right. because you give people a yellow card like a big personality yellow card. I, I can't just a big person because you're a big personality. I, I, the more I, I speak to you, the more I can see I, that you're I, a man. I was got now, substance, right? I was now, but when I first started in 2000, it was it was it was it was tough because I got on the Premier League when we had some proper big name referees in that in that group, and I was going to caution use Neil Ruddock for I sent Neil yeah. Neil off once on a on a week before Christmas, believe it or not, a crew. Um, I won't tell you what he said. You're probably in charge of the club at the time. Was it a bit? Was it? A, oh it, yes, it, I remember it because he was patting. He was patting. He was patting his back pocket about yeah. how much money he had in it. He was. And yeah, I, I, I remember I, it. Yeah. So I sent him out like a week before Christmas, which was he, none by the time I just, finished he, with him. He just looked at me. And he just looked at me. And he said, "At least I've got Christmas and New Year off." And I thought, "Yes, wow." Yeah, I remember that. So, um, yeah. but, but no, it, I don't know. It's, it's just that when when there's, I didn't. I never used to look him in the eye and like give me the yellow card. I just always like look away. And then one thing led to another. And there was one thing where it was really bad where. A tackle would go in. A player said, used to say something to me. You kind of look at the players at the same time you're doing it, and it just went from there. So that so there's no look um, uh, carding is not is completely diametrically opposed to people's perception of it. It's not coming from a position of arrogance. It's actually coming from a position of a slight lack of confidence at the time. And I think also sometimes if you're you, you look how many times go back over the years where you'd want to give a player a yellow card, he'd just walk away from you. Yeah, which was which was a bit of a. So you're looking at nothing. I shook Balotelli's hand once at. Wolves at the end of the game. It's one of them where sometimes we've seen the same situation last year where with with Tuchel and, and Conte where you got to shake somebody's hand and you don't make eye contact with. And when you finish the game and some player comes over to shake your hand, they're all you, you basically have like the fist point. You're shaking hands and everybody's coming yeah. out to shake hands and someone shakes your hand, but somebody's next to you said Mike and you kind of go that way as you shook somebody's hand and Balotelli just knocked them on the shoulder to look at me when I shake when, when I'm shaking your hand. And that's because whether well, that was just him being him or me yeah. not thinking Craig is bad because the first time I've ever come, first time I've, well first time I've ever come across him so he was a big player you know he's a he's a big name on the pitch at the time for City which he was. Um, little pipsqueak. But it, <laughs> but it, but if some if player said to me Mike as he shakes my hand, I'd probably look that way I wouldn't right. just I wouldn't say hang on a minute I'm shaking his hand I'd just do it that's just what we do but yeah. it just the way he did it but it was probably lack of lack of confidence I think going back to it. Do you, you made a point about the fact that you did your job and you didn't, you know, whether it was given a penalty in the first minute or the 95th minute, if it was required, you didn't you didn't shirk it. Do you think there's a, a little bit of a lack of balls going on with current referees? I don't need you to name names. Right? I'm not interested in that. But do you think there's a lack of courage of one's convictions at this moment in time? No, I don't. I think that um, the bigger referees... Well, you made a point that you had the balls yeah, to yeah. do it. I think the right? bigger... The so big... you must mean that some people don't then by association. I think the bigger referees now will make the decisions... Um, obviously, the first you get a young guy who comes on and doing his first season in Premier League, it might be like, "Whoa, what, what season we've got to make in last minute?" But the more you're on and the more more you learn, the bigger referees now in the Premier League will make big calls in last minute. And we, yeah. We've seen it over the years, to be honest with you. So it does happen. And 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 I was I was probably scared to make big calls in in my first two or three years on the Premier League because we had I had big guys at our meetings at at Warwick University. I had the Poles, I had the Barbers, I had the Duns, the Durkins, and you know, I used to watch them on the television and I'm in the same room as them in the same elite 23 referees. On merit. Yeah, same, yeah, same 23 referees yeah. as them. And as I said before, I think the bigger personalities now are getting a bit more of, I wouldn't say having the balls to do it. I think it's, it's the job. I think that it's expected now. And I think we mentioned before about the VAR. There's, 
There is a safety net if you don't make the big call in the last mm. minute. But as a referee, you, what would you rather do? Would you rather not make the call in the 90 plus five minute and let VR bail her out of it and think, well, I probably knew when he got over, I probably shouldn't have called myself. Just make the call. It depends if, on the character of the person. I, it? And if you make the call, it's a wrong call. You know for well now that the VR will say it's a wrong yeah. call and change the, to the, yeah. invite you to the screen to have another look at it and think, you know, have you made the right call? Have you not made the right call? Nine times out of ten, I think, when you go to the screen, because we've got one look at it, it's got like that to make the decision. They've got five, six, seven different angles, slow motion, fast forward, rewind, stills. If you go into the screen, nine times out of ten, the VR's ten, you've made a clear and obvious error. Mm -hmm. I think moving forward, and no doubt we'll speak about later, that I think that may, that may well change soon, I think. Well, I'm going to talk about VAR now, um, because I, I, I'm an advocate of it. And I remember writing an article in 2006 when I was writing for The Observer, when I was Palace chairman, um, and I was talking about this, the nature of errors and the propensity to price it into thinking. I don't. Everyone makes errors, and and it's it's not the errors that you make; it's the manner in which you make them, or the repetitive nature of how you keep making them. And I wrote this article about you know every other sport, all the sports in the world. The biggest sport in the world is the only sport in the world that seems to think jumpers for goalposts is something that's w worth having. And it started off with goal line detection systems, and that was a clear, easy win, right? That's not yeah. that doesn't require any intervention yeah. really. Yeah. It's either over the line, it's not over the line. If it works, it, if it works, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but where are you on VAR? I mean, I get the impression that you're not hugely enamoured with it. I'll be honest with you, and this is no secret, when it first came in, I hated it. Why? Because I've refereed for 19 years and now someone's going to tell me I've made a mistake. And that's not what it's designed to do, though, is it? You guys have got... The way that the sport has moved on is you're under constant scrutiny. You've got 360-degree you know, analysis. You've got people 24 hours a day, seven days a week, picking the hair out of your ass every time you get something wrong. Wouldn't you have Wouldn't you have wanted support to help you so this 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 game that's changed and evolved, and the broadcasters that scrutinise you, scrutinise you with an inch of life? Why wouldn't you have wanted that support? As I said, when it was first introduced, I hated it right. because it just it just wasn't for me, and I just couldn't get my head round round it. But moving on and evolving, I think now you'd never do without it. It's part and parcel of the game now, and I, I do understand now, having got my head round of it, that I was probably negative and, and probably a bit selfish and, right. and looking after myself when it first came about because it ain't for me. Why do I need it? I've refereed for 19 years. Why do I need help? Even with all the constant yeah. barrage of every pundit um, with a hole in their backside being able to sit there and diagnose everything you've done mm. with the luxury of having... 17 different ca camera angles you didn't no, feel initially I, no, that you no, wanted to embrace and, this sort of aid and, memoir. And that, and that wasn't being big. Yeah, that was being like a ref for 19 years on the best league in the world or supposed best league in the world. And now I'm getting advice that I, I wouldn't say I, I, I probably do need, but I didn't want to, didn't want to accept it, if that right. makes sense. Didn't want to embrace it. Yeah, initially. didn't want to embrace it. And I think that everything, everything changes for a reason. And I think that looking at it now, I would have had the same view on it four or five years ago and what I have it now then no if, if I knew what place it will be in now then I'd, I'd have embraced it a hell of a lot more so, so by definition given the fact you've refereed with both VR and without it you are now in the camp that it's improving the game 100% there's, there's more tools available now than what there was five years ago and we were doing hard training it was just like you probably remember you know, the thing was the game Huddersfield when it first started the line was like like a jagged edge, so you mm. used to draw an etch a sketch kind of thing. So mm. the, the line was never, you know, but, but the tech, the way it's all moved forward now, the last five years, 
is, is massive. And I think even another 10 years' time, five, 10 years' time, it'll go even more. You'll have the automated offsite, which will probably come in sooner yeah. rather than later. We yeah. had a chance this year, we chose not to use it, which, which I is think, fine. Which I don't think is a bad thing, by the way. I, I think what they'll do, they'll try to get into the competition next year in the, in the Euros, I would think. And then maybe after that, maybe embrace it then. But it will be an easier, it's a, more, it's a quicker decision. You know, the referee and the system referee will get a noisy ear straight away to say, yes, it's offside, put your flag up, end off. Um, and then the images, what they had in the World Cup, obviously you were there, same as me, Sam, mm. that when they put it on the screen, if you put it on the screen, within two or three minutes is fine. But there's one game I went to, it took 15 minutes to get, yeah. the, get the image on. And I think so, why is it taking 15 minutes? Is something not, because people in the stadium say, why is it taking 15 minutes? Are they, are they trying to do something with the, with the images? Whereas, you know, if they put it on straight away, which, they, which they've got the ability to do, yeah, I know it was all new last year, the automated offsides. I know it's all new and it's all moving forward. But surely when they do bring in each Premier League, same have proper screens to show, not like little scoreboards. They've got certain stadiums now that they will have a screen to show people straight away and say, yeah, straight away his knees off or his head's off or his foot's off or legs offside. And, you know, it, it will make it a lot easier. Do you think it's making on-field referees lazy or abdicate responsibility because they know they've got an ability to fall back? I think, it's a fifth, I think it's, that's a 50-50 one because I think that, I think I mentioned before, the bigger... The more stronger referees on the lists of all lists throughout the throughout the world will make the bigger calls. Well, the reason why I say that is because the default setting, the moment VAR says look at the screen, it's almost and there's been many instances where the on-field decision has been right, and they've gone to the screen yeah. and it would appear they've gone, okay now, okay, right, I've got a screen. I've, kind of, I've, I've, I've been in the same position myself. Yeah. And when I've gone over, I've probably gone to the screen five or six times. And I think I could probably stop my decision at least, well, definitely at least two off the top of my head straight away. South Man United, Southampton, the other year where I've got the screen for for something and set the play off, which is just completely wrong. I just, I think, because you go to the screen nine times out of ten, as you said, you're, you're probably expected to change your decision. That's what the whole stadium's expecting. Yeah. But I think that'll change because I think that if you made the decision on the pitch and you made the correct cut and you think, when you get to that screen, you think to yourself, as you're going to the screen, you think to yourself, why am I being sent here? Because I know, for, yeah. well, I know what I've seen. Yeah. You get to the screen, and think, no, I'm, I'm still comfortable. I'm still comfortable with my decision. I'm going to stick with it. I think that will happen more. I think once somebody sticks with it, and this, this is again, we used to have the same with the refs. Who's, who's going to be the first one? Because when you went to the screen, when I was on, as you said, have you just mentioned before, 99 times out of 100, you're going to change your decision. I think I can't remember who the first one to overturn the decision. It might have been great. Graham Scott might have done it once. I think he was the first one to overturn. I think Michael Oliver did last year. We give a penalty kick at Nottingham Forest. Went to the screen, stuck with his on-field decision because it was handball. Yeah, right decision. Got a lot of plaudits for it. He done it at Crystal Palace in the thing in the FA Cup. Might have been the FA Cup. I think he stuck with his on-field decision. The more you stick with the on-field decision, you get better credibility from spectators, managers, players. And, I think so. And, and also, it may well stop the VAR. Every time someone I'm thinking, I'm going to send him over, I'm going to send him over. Yeah. Because has he got to send him over all the time? Yeah. And in my opinion, he hasn't because... Because the safety net shouldn't be a safety net itself, correct. should it? <laughs> the safety net should be a clear and obvious, complete yeah. complete ricket. Yeah. It should be complete, like, if you've missed a blatant two-footed challenge for some reason, you've just had a total blank, which which does happen. I mean, you can just look at it completely think, oh, that's a good great tackle, that's great, that. Pre-VAR, or, yeah, pre-VAR, you could watch. You could referee a game. You can watch matches. There, you put it on things. How the hell have I missed that two-footed tackle? Because so it just it just happened. None none of the four officials on the day have registered it. And you go home and think, so what have I been looking at? 
and, and sometimes you don't know what you've been looking at. You can't get your head why you haven't seen the most blatant, obviously, two-foot challenges. Everybody expects in the world to be probably three red cards and you haven't even get one. But there's got to be a reason why you've got to make... Andre Mara, when he was refereeing, obviously Andre's retired this year, he made a good point. He used to always say to referees, when you referee, you've got to make the VR redundant. Mm. And, and I get, I get, the, I get his phrase. And yeah, I think, I think that that's right. If you go and referee as if the VR wasn't there, I'm not saying you get decisions better, but you'd be more comfortable thinking that well, he might not be here. So when, when the guys go and referee in the FA Cup in the third round where they don't have VAR, it's completely but they referee yeah. different, but they referee, I'm not saying they don't referee properly, but they know for well they have to make the big calls yeah. all the time because they haven't got that so-called safety net. Are you comfortable, Mike, with the idea that referee, uh, that decision-making processes have gone wrong? Like on the on the on over the Wolves Man United game on Monday, mm -hmm. with Simon Hooper, Richard Weston, and Michael Salisbury all being yeah. stood down. Yeah. Do you think that's the right way to go? Because there's another argument that says if you want to give people their heads and you want to give people confidence, then when they make mistakes you stay with them because a player, if a player's playing for a team and it makes a mistake, the manager bins him in the next game, yeah. it doesn't give him any confidence. No, I, so where, where are you on that? I, I, I have two, I, I kind of get in a way I, mean, that, I suppose it depends how bad the bleeding performance is. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've dropped rickets when I've refereed before now and I knew full well that I wouldn't be out the weekend after it when I was refereeing. But what I used to always say, rightly or wrongly, whether it's because it was me, I would pick up the phone on Monday and say, look, I know the fixture out at four o'clock and I know I'm not going to ref, but do me a favour, put me out this weekend. Yeah. And just don't put me out the weekend after. Yeah. And I'll understand why I'm not out the weekend after because of what happens just, just this weekend just gone. Right. Majority of the time it worked and it was fine and it wouldn't bother me whatsoever. I think I do understand that there's a... A blame culture. Yeah, and I think that... Well, I was more disappointed on, on Monday and I, I get the process and I, and I get that it's probably, it is the wrong decision. Everybody knows it's the wrong you decision. You think it's the wrong decision? Yeah. How do you think a decision like that manifests itself? I, I, I mean, you've got guys in VAR, you've I got guys on the pitches. I just don't know. The, yeah. my, only, my, only, my only thought process is, and this isn't a cop-out to try and back Simon because I think Simon knows it's there now now we've seen it. Yeah. 24 hours before we had Tottenham Bradford keepers come out Brentford guys dinged over the keeper. Keeper's gone to make the save and he's just tucked the player out low down to his feet. And I think they've come out to said it's just an in inevitable coming together between a goalkeeper and attacker. And I get that. And it's not a penalty keeper. Keeper comes out and just goes for the ball, missing, and he, he takes the guy out down by his angles. It's inevitable. I get that one. If he takes him out neck eye or waist eye, then that's completely different. And that's a, that's a different decision to make on the pitch. Probably a penalty kick and, a, and maybe something else. Where they've gone down that route of the key was fully committed, he's missed the ball, it's inevitable coming together, and that's what's happened. But when you see it back, it's just... I would expect a decision like that, if you're focused for the full duration of the game as a referee, I'd be devastated yeah. not to see that decision. Because in isolation, that is an easy decision to make in my opinion, because the keeper's come out, he's flapped at it, he's nowhere near the ball. And again, if he comes out and he misses the it's ball... It's an easy on-field decision, if, isn't if, it? If, let alone VAR. 100%. Yeah. If, if a keeper comes out and misses the ball by like an inch with his finger, I get that. But when, it, when, when you see he's the... cleaned him out. But even when you see the footage back from a VR point of view, he's flapped at the ball and missed the ball, and then he's put two hands together to, to, to take the attacker out, if you know, if you know where I'm coming from. Mm. I think it's an, it's an easy decision for a referee to make on a pitch. But it's an even easier decision to make as a, as a VAR because you have all the information on in front of you. Yes, I get it's 90 plus whatever minute it is, but that should make no difference. Yes, it's a bad call by the VAR, and they, they make some they make some bad calls, but they also make some 
some bloody good calls. And again, I'll use yeah. Michael again. Michael was but involved. But they should make, I mean, at the bottom line is you should make bloody good calls. They, they should do yeah. because yeah. the information is available. And obviously you've got the, the situation on Monday with Michael and you go back to the programme Howard did on Sky three, two months ago where there's a process with the Leicester and the Arsenal game yeah. where you, you, it's impossible, it's impossible to see the attacker linking arms with the goalkeeper and putting the goalkeeper down. The only I can see is from behind the goal and Michael was the VR in that game. So he's made one great call that game and he's made a wrong call on Friday. It's yes, it's cost Wolves a point and it's not it's not something that Michael will be happy about when he when he sees back and sees the process. Yeah. And, he, and he'll want to know Michael. He's, he's he's new on the list as a, as a Premier League referee, two years, I think. A good he's a good VAR. He's a dedicated VR within UEFA. So he's he's quite highly thought of with that. It's, I, I would think it was just a one-off. And I, I think that sometimes in refereeing and same same most sports, that you'll see a decision like that and you know full well, you're glad it's happened on match day one rather than match day 25 because mm. you know full well, if that happens again between match day two, you know full well, you know what the decision's going to be. What do you think of Howard? Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an admirer of Howard's and I think that he's going to shake things up and I think he's going to have the courage of his convictions to make some changes. And we'll talk briefly about the new directives in a moment. But when he did that um, uh, analysis, I think it was on one of the uh, Monday Night Footballs. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's none of it, that's the way forward. I think that there should be an evaluative perspective. To uh, you know, if, I suppose if we're getting into the territory of hearing two-way transactions inside stadiums, it almost becomes moot because you've become privy to it. But as a stepping stone, everything has to go in increments, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think I think you will have it. I think I would be surprised if Howard's done it. Does it at least two or three, four more times this season. Yeah. I, think, I think. The way it come across was good. I think the amount of people that viewed what had come across, it was an it was an eye for some supporters because some supporters again, as as much as you can explain it in the media and, and you know people go on Sky and and, and radios and, and and try and get your point of view across, but until you actually sit a supporter down and go through the actual process of yep. why you've made the decision, yeah, that program how it did, I bet you some supporters thought, "Crikey, I didn't know that." Or yeah. I'm not too sure what's going on here. And he, even like pundits in, in Sky now on a Saturday afternoon, where they they've got the monitor in front of them, and they get a different perspective. You can now understand why the process sometimes does take a long time. I think we used to be not no. I think I think guys used to worry sometimes when they, when they're in the VRC to try and get the decision quicker because you want the game to to carry on yeah. quicker. But I think if 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 a decision takes or a, or a, a call takes two minutes in the VR chair, and the spectators in the stadium aren't happy, I'm sure. If that decision takes two minutes and it's the correct decision, you'd rather that than rush it in 30 seconds and get the wrong decision. No, get right. the wrong there, camera there, angle, the wrong footage. But there is footage. a finite amount of time. Yeah. As we all know, that there is an element of, you know, we need to get to these decisions quickly. And if you've got trained professionals in there, it's like driving at high speed if you're a police officer. Some people can drive on an advanced driver's license, some people can't. And you should be able to distill information as quickly as you possibly can in order to take away that resistance factor, which yeah. is, oh, what's going on? Yeah. You know, clearly it. they don't know what they're looking at. Clearly they're not sure themselves. And I think I think the more the more they do the VR, and, and you've got to understand as well, Simon, that they're all there as a referee, and they do some VR and they do some and they do some for the officials. So a VR might only do fifteen VRs a season, yeah, and referee twenty weekends of the season. Michael Oliver might do seven VRs a season. Yes, it's not ideal, and is the way moving forward of getting dedicated VRs. Yes, it could be. I was one. Lee Mason was one. Um, but I think it's logical, don't you? I mean, I think it has to be that. I mean, you, all of a sudden, if you're if you're in VAR one week, fourth official the next week, in the middle of the following week, you, aren't you in danger of becoming a jack of all rather than a master of 
of not of one. Yes or no, but I, I found it harder being a dedicated VR than doing all three jobs because I could referee on a Saturday at, say, Tottenham. Sunday, stay in London overnight and be VR the following day. And I've got a feel for the game. Even as full of fish, I've got a feel for the game. And I'm, I'm, I won't be... I won't be ashamed to say this. When I was dedicated VAR, I lost the feel of what was and what wasn't a tackle. And and as much as you say, well, how can you? Because you've refereed for 22 years in the Premier League. Because when you're involved in it and you see tackles every week as full of vision and as a referee, you're involved in the game itself. To then be like blocked off and only hear the guys speaking in the comms and not getting a feel for you lose your feel for it. You lose your you, touch, you, right? you, 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 So that must you, lead you into the conclusion, or does it lead you to the conclusion? Because this is an argument that's often advanced, isn't it, about ex-pros being involved in say in recent times in in the VAR room? Mm-hmm. You for that? I think guys have been in there and, and have realised. Obviously, you've seen Jamie and Gary going in doing it. And, yeah. And match of the day guys have done it just to see how hard the VR hub is. I think there wouldn't be a, a harm if a ex-pro as I said before would if he packed in for a bad injury wanted to be a VR yeah. have a feel for the game but it's so hard to get a feel for the game when you're just watching on the television because I, I made this observation about you I was unhappy with a, a, a game that you did a while ago with Lee Mason and I think I was quite robust in my language towards you but I talked about in the end of the day when it comes down to it VAR is all about how it's implemented. Refereeing is all about decision-making process. You either can do the job or you can't do the job. It's not more complicated 100%. than that, isn't it? 100%. And I said last week that they've got this massive new hub for the VR, which was obviously getting done when I was I was still out of starter, it was. And then it's all right having the facility, but if you haven't got the people to do the job in the facility, what's the point of having the facility in the first place? Yeah. So no, it, it will get better. And I think in the end, you there will... They will train people to be dedicated VARs. I think they will. I think I'll, they have to. I mean, obviously, I tried it with when Lee and me and Lee both tried it. Um, Lee was done it eighteen months. I done it for six months. Things happened with Lee, which which, which was which is fine, which is which pretty. Open. And for me, I I made a few mistakes as VAR. I missed the stupid hair pull at bloody Chelsea Tottenham, which was pathetic from my point of view. And it's one of them where, if I had my time again, what would I do? I'd, I'd send Anshu to the screen. I think that, and the only reason I never sent to the screen, I've, I've said this before, is that. He's cautioned both managers. He's had a hell of a game. It's been such a tough game end to end. And I said to Andy afterwards, I said, I just didn't want to send you to the screen after what's gone on in the game. And Andy said, it doesn't matter what goes on in the game. You know, and and, and, and it's easy now. And again, I, I didn't want to send him up because he's, he's a mate as well as, as a referee. And I think I didn't want to send him up because he didn't want any more because what he already had. And, and Andy's he's big and bold enough and ugly enough to know full well that if he's got on the screen, he's got on the screen for a reason. And mm. I think that Again, lucky enough for me, it happened. I think the second or third match round never happened again. If someone pulls around now, it's dead easy. It's just, it's just, a, mm. it's just, it's what? just, a, just a brainwave by me. Just a, a really bad, really, really bad call by me, and it kind of affected me as VR going forward. Probably right. missed a few games because I think if you, I said before about you know if you referee, you t- get out of the limelight. That was a major, major error, and I think from my point of view, I was so disappointed because. I was kind of told at the start of the season of being dedicated to VAR. If there's live games on a Sunday half past four, because I'm dedicated to be VAR, that's the kind of games we'd be involved in, which was great. That was a 4:30 game. I've missed a hair pull in like 90 plus three, and sods law. You know what? You know, you know, you, you miss it and straight away goes for the corner. And you go and equalise. Yeah. If, yeah. yeah. if you don't equalise, you don't equalise. If they end up winning two one, I won't spoil about yeah. the hair pull. Yes, I'll get a bit of a volicking because yeah. I've missed a hair pull. My process was bad. I should have sent to the screen. But if they don't score from it. It's not a big issue, but I knew for well then I'd be stood down the week after. I asked to take a bit of time off because it just wasn't for me. I made a mistake at Wolves and, and Arsenal where I probably should have let you go to the screen for a penalty kick. And It's one of them things, Simon, that 
as much as I want to stay involved with the guys in the Premier League and, and try and do the best for them, that I probably knew October, November, it, it, VR just wasn't. Was it your choice? It's 50-50. And I'm, right. I'm not going to lie. Was, they didn't think you both I'd, came to the same conclusion. Yeah, they didn't think I'd be suited with it, which is fine, because I can't, got to say like January, February, I wasn't getting any games. I said, to them, why am I getting any games? Well, your process isn't as good. And I get the processes now, and the process has got to be better. So, for instance, instead it happens, my process, my wording wouldn't be right, and it, and it wasn't. I used to always talk while the games were going on. Because that's something that, I, you know, it, guys are sure, oh, how's, how's he missed that? Yeah. That's the kind of thing it used to be saying, yeah. whereas, whereas now it's more like speak when you're supposed to speak. Speak yeah. for the, not for the say, speak for speaking sake, speak when it's necessary. So if some a tackle goes in, you switch on, ready to go. Right. Not like, gosh, what, what? they've paid so, so much money for him. How, how's he missed that from open goal? How, how's he worse? You know, that yeah, kind of support, I get it. Yeah. Such a bad pattern. Yeah. And, and I get that. And it wasn't for me. I, I had to stop talking. I couldn't stop talking. Um, tried it, couldn't do it, didn't get games, so the process wasn't well. And then I kind of come to the conclusion, well, what do you want me to do? So they gave me a game, Leicester Tottenham, game went fine. There was there was, there was no issues in the game whatsoever. It was a weekend where we had a few issues with um, Tottenham, uh, Arsenal and Brentford and Crystal Palace and somebody where the wrong lines are wrong players and things. And I didn't get a game the week after. I just looked and said, it's just, it's just not for me because I'm not getting any games. It's not all about, I've still yeah. people, oh, you're still getting paid for it. Yeah, I know I'm still getting paid for doing the job, but I want to be doing stuff. So I said, what else can I do to keep me involved in football? And then I used to get in the car on a Friday night and drive to London, dreading Saturday. Because right. you, you used to sit in the chair and I sat and things up. You'd say, pardon me, for fuck's sake, open nothing. I used to be petrified sitting in the chair, right. thinking, come on, the guy goes down the road, so give the pen, give the pen, oh, just give the pen, are you happy days, just give the right. pen. Right, so it took you out of the I responsibility. Would, yeah, because if, right. if you don't, so you go, there we go. Which flies need, in the face of your on-field experience. Yeah, which, which yeah. Gives, give me an angle, give me an angle on this, I need to look at that file, and they say, oh, I'm, I'm recommending on-field review for a possible penalty game, and you send him over, show you the images when you get there, blah, 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 blah. But I was driving down on Friday, petrified, just not looking forward to a Saturday. And if you, any job you're in, if you're looking forward to go and do the job, as much as you get down to Friday night, see the lads in the hotel, have a you're chat, with have it. a chat. And then, yeah. then he said, "Do you want to do some coaching?" I said, "I'll give it a go." And and to be fair, there's like like at least like six or seven referees to go and have a look at. So I was, I was going to Newport on a Tuesday night, Hartlepool on a Saturday, went to Lincoln, and even League One and League Two, I had the right bus for going to watching football again and being involved in. Seeing people I haven't seen for years, seeing people behind the scenes at, at likes of Lincoln and, and Newport and what have you, and, and like getting a feel for the guy. And I, I even speaking to guys on the way, I'm thinking, "Are you okay?" I said, "Yeah." Well, I said, "Because you got your voice has like got a bit of enthusiasm back for right. football again." Mm. So I knew that it was for me, and so I've done coaching up to the end of the season. Looked at seven, eight refs, three or four. Two of them got in the championship next year, which was really good. So I kind of helped. I've helped in a way. I watched Rebecca Welsh two weeks on the bounce. Fantastic. Where are you, Mike? I'm a major advocate for you guys to have a voice. Um, in terms of I like listening to you today, people when they listen to this will see a very different version of a referee and a very different version of the personality of Mike Dean that they will perceive. Right? Because you're quite candid, you're quite to the point. I don't I don't think there's been any any arrogance in the observations that you've made. Uh, and I think that you've sat here describing things and the mistakes that you've made and the challenges that you've had and the circumstances that you've been involved in. And I think that referees, I've people have laughed at me, but I, I don't suggest a press conference, but the ability to, for referees to be able to have a voice. Because I think people owning decisions, being praised for making the right decisions. And I know that people and Howard suggested me, well, all it will be is turn into a referee and bashing session about what they've got wrong. Yeah, yeah. But where are you on the idea of referees 
having a voice, being able to, because some would say, the average football fan would say, they should be fucking accountable. Everyone else is accountable. The manager's accountable. The players are accountable. But the referees never seem to be. Yeah. Right? Where are you on having a voice? Is I it think, something you would like to have had? I think there is accountability because obviously you see if we make a mistake, we get yeah, you taken get, off you games. Get taken off games I, yeah. I, I understand that process. Um, I think that I don't think, I think probably half of the group would probably wouldn't mind coming out and speaking. Um, and I guess probably the bigger, the guys who've been along, you know, five, six, seven, ten years would mind coming out and speaking about a decision if it warranted a proper explanation and not a, not a look back to the ref kind of thing. No, it's got to be but a pragmatic... What, but what I would yeah. say to you is I think there should be some kind of issue I mentioned about how we're doing the programme, whether he does a programme once a month and a referee goes on to explain this on, on behalf of the other referees to explain what's going on. Monday morning, just like referee comes out and, and speaks about a decision weekend, yes, I get it. I don't think the guys would bother, but my, my issue would be that if I was still active as a referee and I came out three or four weekends on the bounce to speak about a decision, then... The perception will be that I'm in a bad run of form. I'm making mistakes every week, and is that fair on the referee to come out and speak about a so-called bad decision? But post-match interviews is what I'm sort of saying. Yeah, post-match, I think, I think it's tough because I think that. Well, I mean, on both respects, you can't. I would be in the camp of saying that a referee, in the same way that a manager does a post-match interview when he wins and loses, right? Then why wouldn't it be an advertorial for referees to have both situations? The media will bite people's arm off because the more content they get, the happier they're going to be, the more access they think they're getting, the better it'll be for them. Why would it not be something like this conversation now will surprise a few people, I yeah, think. Maybe. I hope so. Yeah. And, and, I'll, and it will enlighten a few people as well, me included. right? Um, and with that in mind, a post-match interview that's based upon owning decision-making process being also uh, across the reasons why decisions were made that were absolutely right. Yeah. And, the, and the presenters or the interviewers having the same dynamic and respect for the culture of refereeing as they do when they're interviewing a manager. I, I don't think there'd be an issue with that. What I would say is that it has to be a, like a level playing field with regards to interview referees. So That's my point. Yeah, I think if you come out and say, like, why is this, you know, why, why give that penalty? Why have you sent that player? Good press is, 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 is like bad decision-making. And people, yeah, I understand and, and people, people are listening to, to why have you made a bad call. They're not going to say to me when I was refereeing or to Michael or to Anthony to look, look, you've had a great game this week, you've, you've really refereed well. And just to make it even better, can you come out and talk about how no, well you... No, fair enough, because, fair because, enough. Because... But there will always be something in the game where a controversial decision has proven to be right and a referee coming out and being given the opportunity to validate I have no, their thinking. I have no issues yeah. with that. But I would say to you is that there's, there's always like double-edged sword, isn't it? So yes, they wanted to talk about a bad decision, but sometimes they will never talk about what a good decision you made because the amount of guys that make good decisions throughout the game you can highlight maybe one or two complete rickets throughout the season a referee would have. I mean, the criticism that comes with the territory, it's fair game, it would appear. And the, the, the criticism is going off the clock now in terms of the personal nature of it, but moving into territories that you've been a victim of. Mm -hmm. People will have gone beyond the pale of saying a referee's decision-making process isn't good enough and started to move into absolutely ridiculous oh, yeah. levels of personal abuse yeah, yeah, yeah. with death threats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've had this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what does that make one think? Um, uh, Who would want to put up with that nonsense? Well, exactly. Do you, do you really need to carry on? And, and yeah, that's the reason why I took a couple of weeks out of the time. But I think that, I think if they come out and spoke about it and give 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 an, an open, honest opinion, and and a, and it came across well enough, a, a bit like this podcast today, Simon. That you know, I've given my views open, honestly. You might have been surprised sometimes the way I've come across, as in. As in, like a, a normal person. I've been enlightened. No, I didn't think you were an abnormal person. I don't mean that. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that 
if, if referees come out and speak more, perception of referees might be different within the. Well, that's my point. Because it's a valued part of the game. Without like, referees, there isn't a game. It's like them and us. So, because that's what it looks. It looks like they're just refs. We're football fans. We we never hear nothing from. Never so, explain, so, we, yeah. so it's always their fault. Yeah. But I think if they come out and spoke more. It, it may well happen. Howard's Howard's got some some ideas, I'm sure. And, yeah, and and the, he's very very good. Howard at getting the right message across. New directives, Howard coming in, and like new brooms, they tend to sweep clean, and I think that's good. I think Howard is a good front of camera merchant as well in terms of talking to the media. So that relationship yeah, will build. Yeah. I think that these new directives are long overdue. Mm -hmm. I I think I, I I my one of my criticisms of referees is where's the courage of your convictions. Why don't you own these outcomes? I understand that it's not as simple as that. You're walking into stadiums with 50,000 people baying for your blood if you go the wrong direction from the homes the crowd want to... But you're going to get that anyway yeah. if you're fanny about. Yeah. And I'm delighted. You know, I'm delighted that Andy Robertson and Bruno Fernandes thought they could do what they did last year, so much so that it probably cemented in people's minds that that's just about enough. Mm. All right. what's, your, what's your take? I, th I, think, I think you're probably right. Touching on that one incident last year was probably... Because it was out of order, Andy oh, Robertson. It was out of order, hundred percent. And and I think because of because of because of that happening, I think that that was probably the start of 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 the major change that that needed to be brought in. I think that probably just that just got it all going. I think I think I think we all thought enough was enough. And but do you think you're architects of your own downfall? Though? Yeah, I, I yeah. think I think I said before, I just don't yeah. think we're strong enough. I think yeah, you know, I, I think there's times when I could have been stronger as a referee. I think guys could be stronger now at referee doing things on the pitch. And I think that you know until we have the I probably until we have the backing of 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 people, and I think that you know, not using other people who were in, in charge before, before Howard and before Mike, that if we've had backing to like come down really hard on things, we'd have had a, a bit of backing. But as I said to you before, Simon, sometimes that you know, if we go we go full tilt on on some kind of project, and not you know, some kind not Lord like shirt pulling we had a couple of years ago. I I, I went down to his right any shirt pull, I'm giving a pen. After about six weeks, I was like, "Mate, you're giving too many pens. Don't don't go looking for him." I wasn't going looking for him, but I kind of thought, "Well, if if the director didn't stop Sherpa, let's 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 go for it." And because I was the only one doing it, I think so. Why should I do it? And the other eighteen aren't doing it, so I kind of took a bit of a vaccine again, just fizzled away. But I think the Cassis was probably the incident last year with 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 Andy Robinson and Fernand and Fernandez. I think it was Fernandez. Bruno Fernandez, Fernandez yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I thought that's and they've now reaped what they've said. That's, they? that's time to change, yeah. I think. Oh, I, I think, agree. And I think that you know I, I've got no issues. Whatsoever. Do you think they're going to stay with it? I mean, I remember back in um, back in 2016 when referees were directed to be tough on pulling and pushing. You give two penalties um, uh, against Stoke and Man City, so Man City yeah. and uh, and the backlash comes in and the initiative is pulled away. Yeah. Do you think now? Because people, the argument last week uh, all over the media was, never mind time wasting. Get on with getting VAR right after that preposterous decision about Wolves. I'm like, well, hold on, that's two completely different issues. The players have brought all this upon themselves. The time wasting, the simulation, the nonsense that goes on, yeah. the gamesmanship. This is on them. Mm -hmm. If they're getting too much time on the pitch, that's on them. They have their choices. But do you think there's now the gumption to say, right, no, 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 no. This isn't a fad. We're not going to buckle under pressure and suddenly drop it after three months because it's no longer being focused on. And actually, it's, or, or more to the point, it's being focused on too much and we're not comfortable yeah. with it. Do you think they're, they're going to stay the test? Because I think they absolutely bloody need to. Yeah, I, I think in the past we've, we had some, we had some directors where you kind of get to September's international break and we probably have a meeting, but just like just pull in a little bit. But I just think this is just a, this is just a new start. I think it's a new a new era. I think Howard's put the ground rules down. He's basically come out and said. It's not going to be a two-week thing. It's going to be that it's here. It's it's staying, and I think that once 
managers, players, and everybody else, and officials know it's sticking. I think you, I think you will see some some kind of change in the technical. I'd like to think you would anyway, because if not, then it's just going to be bad for the managers because you know last year was three yellow cards in a ban. I think it's down to two this year. Two red cards was a you know stadium ban that kind of stuff. So I think that I think they will stay strong, and I think that. Sometimes they're not bothered if they get a yellow card, but they'll be bothered now if they get a red card because they can't go into the stand and watch the match. They have to go into the dressing room to watch the match now. Right. And they can't do post-match interviews. They can't put the point of view across for being sent off. They're not allowed to do so. So I think they've been strong the first couple of weeks. You've seen Pep got a, a caution in the first mm. game. Um, Arteta for clapping in or imaginary yellow card in the, in the community shield. So you've seen some managers being sent off in the championship. And I think, I think once managers get the message. Give the message. I'd yeah. like to think they would ease off. What's th three questions in this in this last question? What is your most proudest moments? What is your biggest disappointments? And how do you think the body of work that you did over the period of time that you were a top class referee will be remembered? Um, proudest moment is probably staying on the Premier League and refereeing at the elite level for twenty two years. Um, there's not many people who can stay at the top of the job for 22 years. Football manager, a football in general. Chair, yeah, anybody chair, full stop in, in chair, life now. Chairman in general. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, just to stay. I put chairman into it. Thank you very much. <laughs> I just I chucked that one in. Um, but, but to stay at that level, and referee 560 Premier League games, I'm, that's that's me proud to stay at, at yeah. the elite level, and keep myself in a, in decent shape for 22 years. Obviously, since I finished, the shape's gone a bit skew with because I've things was all of whip. Me nuts off for 22 years. I need to have a bit of a chill and, and not train five, six, five times a week and do pitch sessions. I'm going to go on holiday with my wife once a month to Spain and, and just enjoy myself, you know. So that's actually proud of me to stay on. Biggest disappointment was probably probably getting suspended, which you, you, you probably haven't covered. Probably getting suspended in 2005, 2006. Um, when I had a chance of getting on the development group of UEFA. Um, right. And that was just a bit of stupidity from my point of view in a roundabout way. I was involved in like horse race syndicates. I was I, I was just I used to, still like horse race, horses now to be fair. Right. I was involved in a syndicate, thought not a bad thing to do that. I wouldn't mind doing that myself. Kind of done it. It's, it's a time of the stage where in the Premier League, if you had to do another job when you signed a full-time contract, you had to inform the Premier League of other activities away from football. Um, Todd, one of the girls in the office, who was like the PA, what I was thinking of doing, then I said I was doing it. Mess didn't really get across properly. She thought I was just like getting involved in like a consultancy thing. But like that's, I started on my own horse race syndicate and my own name. Used like the word arbitros, which is like referee in like a foreign language kind of thing. So, <laughs> so, so I had my own like racing thing, got people involved in it. And then stupidity on my point of view, communication, if I had done the communication better, was probably would have been good for my point of view. Um, then missing from like, February until the May of that season, kind of losing money, uh, not getting paid for the four months when I was involved. Um, was probably my biggest disappointment because we'd been three years on the international and have a chance of maybe doing bigger games. Could have got on the talent group within UEFA and who knows what might have happened if I'd have gone on that mm. at 30, 34, who knows where I could have gone. That's my biggest disappointment. If people were talking about Mike Dean as a referee and they were reporting on you of the body of work that you did over the 23 years, how do you think people will report you? I'd like to think after this podcast, it'd be a bit different. Um, I, I think, 
I'll get some negative views, which you're always going to get. I think some people didn't like the way I refereed, but I have to say that I didn't go out on purpose to upset anybody when I when I refereed. I think that because I, I think because I enjoyed my job, and this is another thing that comes across sometimes that people think so. Why would you enjoy being a referee? But I, I used to love the job. I, mean, I said before, you know, I couldn't play. Next best thing was going referee. Then it become a hobby. Then it's a bit like a golfer or a cricketer. You know, you're good at your hobby, and all of a sudden you're getting paid for doing your hobby as a referee. So you know, you're junior golfing. All of a sudden you're playing golf around the world. You're getting paid for a living. And then when in 2000, when when it started, um, would you want to be interested in coming involved and getting paid to referee? And I think, well, hang on, I'm, I'm killing chickens here. I'm just a normal like factory worker killing 100,000 chickens a day, but not on my own. But then. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, someone says, do you want to be a referee on the Premier League? Refereeing all these big teams like Arsenal, United City, Liverpool, Everton, Newcastle. Or do you want to still keep killing chickens? So it probably took me about two seconds to decide what I wanted to do. Yeah. Because I enjoyed my job so much, that it probably come across I enjoyed it too much. Right. And I just I just love refereeing. And I missed it so bad the first month when I packed in. Like the first August, August 2022, I missed it horrendously bad for the first month. Because the fixtures come out and you're not on the fixtures like I could have been doing that game or I should have been doing that or I would have done that decision, I would have done that decision. Times change and times move on. And I think that, you know, perception hopefully will change over time. Obviously, I'm moving to different things now with Sky. Perception might be different because I'm going to come across. You're looking forward to the TV stuff. I am, yeah, because I think that, and I've spoke to people about it. You're going to be balls I, out, right? You're, I, gonna, I, you're I, not going to pull any punches. I've said, right? I have said that I'm not going to do what other guys might do and say, I can I'd say I can understand why he's made that decision, and I kind of get why the referee. Yeah. If the referee has dropped a clanger, I've told the people at the Premier League. I've, I still speak to Howard on a regular basis. Some of the guys I still speak to. If they make a mistake, I'll have to say it's a really bad mistake. And yeah. if they don't like it, they don't like it. But you can't just be backing for the sake of backing because you lose all credibility with everybody at all. Because what's the point of me being working for Sky Sports on Gillette Soccer Saturdays yeah. and saying that? Yeah, is yeah. that on board? Yeah, I can see why he's given on board. And nobody else thinks, agrees it's on board. And I'm, yeah, I can see why he's given the penalty again. and nobody else can. So it's just rubbish because there's all credibility. I think that the more I come across on that might be okay. This 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 should come across where perception of people might be completely different. I've been as honest and open as I ever have been in any other interview before or chat with, with, with somebody yeah. from the media, which is really good. But perception will change over time because people will never like me. People will never like me. Certain football clubs will not like me. And I, and I get that because of maybe history of it. Be like time. me, Mike. Don't care what other people think. I, I, I don't. And I used yeah. to said before that, you know, you, you mentioned before about you used to give corners and you used to give a corner, look at look at the crowd and you used to be giving you all kind of gestures. I used to just laugh at them because I just thought it was just to be great. Mm. And like, there's got a, a couple of times sometimes where if I didn't react, it wouldn't be me. Mike, listen, I've enjoyed speaking to you, mate. Likewise, Thank mate. you it's been really for being good. so upfront with me. It's a pleasure. Upfront with me, Simon Jordan, is brought to you by William Hill. Future episodes can be found on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly.